this episode of First Mark's Driven Podcast, we welcome Dana Chisnell, co-founder of the Center for Civic Design. Chisnell spoke at Design Driven NYC on April 12, 2016, on how poorly designed ballots can have a dramatic effect on the democratic process, leading to frustrated voters, miscast votes, and overwhelmed poll workers, and even more dramatically, election outcomes. Uh, so, actually, my day job right now is with the United States Digital Service, which is in the White House, and so I am obligated to say, before we get started, that uh, nothing I say tonight is the position or the policy of the Obama administration or the federal government. This is all me and the Center for Civic Design. Um, so, uh, however, I am allowed to recruit for the digital service, so wait for that PSA at the end. <laughs> So let's start here. This is a form. Um, this is a form that may be used in, I don't know, maybe the most important interaction that people have with their government. And um, this particular form changed everything. This is a ballot from the 2000 US presidential election. Um, it is the culmination of a bunch of design decisions and constraints, exactly like all the things that we work on every day. They were very well-intentioned decisions, most of them. This is how it works, though. So you see that it's open like a book, and in the crotch are these, these holes. Um, behind that little booklet goes a thing called a punch card. The punch card is uh, printed with a bunch of little boxes, and inside the little boxes that are printed are perforated little boxes. Those are called chads, and those have numbers in them. And when you slide it into the little plastic apparatus behind the book, the holes in the crotch of the book line up with those little perforated boxes, and you press through those little holes to push the chad out. Like I said, this is called a punch card. And this is, was a technology from the 50s and 60s that worked really, really well for, for voting systems for a very long time, up until about 2000, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Ideally, the ballot looks like this with all the candidates lined up on the left. But what happened was this really well-intentioned election official, whose job it was to lay out the ballot for the 2000 election, realized that she had tons, thousands of older voters in her jurisdiction in Miami-Dade County. And so what do you do when you have older people in your audience? You make the type size bigger. So this is what she did, and that led to this overflowing of the candidates from one page to both pages interlaced. So if you want to vote for Al Gore and Joe Lieberman, which hole do you actually punch? Now, in this view, it seems obvious, but thousands of voters thought it was the second hole. It's actually the third. If you punch the second hole, it actually casts a vote for Pat Buchanan, the conservative, religious, fundamentalist, and probably not the dude that about 10,000, maybe more, Jewish grannies from Miami are going to vote for. <laughs> and a lot of people came out of the polling place saying, I am pretty sure I just screwed up. 
that I did not vote for the people I wanted to vote for. So this design decision seemed right. This is a decision any one of us in this room would have made, right? Older people, bigger type. We do this all the time, but there was no usability testing. This decision was not based on any data, but it was awesome public administration. We're paying attention to what our constituents want. It wasn't ideal design. So what was the outcome of this? I'm sure a few of you have remembered this. Uh, there were a series of recounts, three big ones, in Florida, and uh, eventually the Supreme Court stopped the third recount and appointed George Bush the 43rd President of the United States. <laughs> Nothing like this had ever happened in U.S. history. Now the crazy thing is, <laughs> even though every state has new voting systems since the year 2000, this kind of thing keeps happening. Now, we tell young people that it's really easy to vote. You just go to the polling place, and you mark a ballot, and you put it into a scanner. It's like taking a standardized test, which is probably the wrong thing to say. Um, and there are all the steps that lead up to going to vote. Getting a voter ID if you live in a state where you need to get a voter ID, so which means you have to prove your citizenship and all of those things. There are so many obstacles. But once you clear those hurdles, there's still knowing what's gonna be on the ballot. And it turns out that most people don't know what's gonna be on the ballot until they're in the voting booth. Only about 20% of jurisdictions actually send information to registered voters before the election. Most places publish the ballot, a sample ballot, in the newspaper of record, or they post it on their website. Did you know that your county actually has an election website? Most people don't. So those are some of the reasons why it's so hard to vote, but there are a bunch of other constraints that figure in. One is legislation. There, is, there are design specifications in virtually every state election code out there. What size the type is, what type face it is, what the grid is, what the layout is, what the instructions have to say, and where they should be placed. A little overspecified, and most of them were written decades ago. Voting systems are engineered, they are not designed, um, and they uh, have not really, user-centered design is a new thing to voting system manufacturers. Costs definitely figure in. In 2000, we thought that uh, electronic voting, voting on a touch screen, was going to be the answer for the future of voting. But it turns out that that's not true. For one thing, it's wickedly expensive. When Maryland switched the first time from paper to uh, touch screen systems, their costs went up 179%. These are computers and they have a lot of issues. 
Among them, the uh, election official doesn't control the UI. The manufacturer does. There are lots of security vulnerabilities. Um, it's really hard to do recounts. Um, so if you look at a county like Clark County, Nevada, where they, if this is where Las Vegas is, they have around 5,000 voting systems, um, touchscreen voting systems that they deploy in every election. If there are any software upgrades that need to be done, and by the way, these things run on Windows like 95 or something, um, or there's a change that needs to be made to the ballots, it has to be made to every single voting system because by law, these things can't be networked. Wickedly expensive. So Maryland has since switched to printed ballots, as have lots of other states, about 37 of them. But printing is not that cheap either. There are a lot of decisions to make around uh, size and weight of the paper, which some uh, constraints come in with the tallying system that you use. Uh, you have to store the paper. Printing is expensive. And in states like California, about 52% of voters actually vote by mail. So when you have a place like that where they love their direct democracy, there are three or four ballot cards in the envelope. The postage is really expensive, coming and going. Another factor is history and culture. Um, this is a ballot from New York City in uh, November 2010. Um, apparently, New Yorkers love their lever machines because uh, when they got a new, voting uh, a new voting system, they had all the opportunity in the world to modernize the whole thing and decided to skew morph to make the ballot look just like a lever machine. So we have all these crazy artifacts. I love the instructions in the upper right here. They say, before voting, read the instructions on the other side. <laughs> so good luck. Now, these ballots, designed artifacts, are made by super available, nicest people on the planet. And you may be saying, what's the big deal? I still don't understand why this is so hard. I have to deal with constraints like this too. You know, if you work in biotech or pharma, you have regulations also. If you work in banking or finance, there are lots of regulations. Also, you have constraints on the back end because the systems there are anciently old and there's only so much you can do. But the people who are designing ballots are not, are not designers. They're not UXers. They haven't had any design training at all. They're county election officials, most of them. They're fantastic public servants and public administrators. They're really good at that. But they're not designers. So to give you a picture of kind of how big this issue is, uh, depending on how you count, there are between 3,000 and 5,000 voting jurisdictions in the United States. Some will say there's more than 10,000. But there are about 3,500, maybe 4,000 county election officials who run things. Um, they are not trained designers, as I said. 
Um, and what happens is the Secretary of State or the Board of Elections issues a template for the ballots, sends it out to all of the counties and says, do this or you could lose your job, depending on what the laws are. And um, then it trickles down and it's up to the counties to implement that design, get the things printed, distribute it out to the precincts and send them out in the vote by mail packets. Now the thing is, there are way more elections than you think there are. There are not just presidential elections and midterm elections, but there are elections happening all the time. And New York is no exception to that. So they're strained. Now, like I said, the butterfly ballot debacle um, sparked the Help America Vote Act, which set aside $3.9 billion for all of the states to replace their voting systems and put an accessible voting system in every single precinct. Yay! But the problem wasn't design. The problem was, uh, sorry, the problem wasn't actually technology, it was design. And with every new voting system, every new voting technology that we introduce, we introduce new design and usability problems. And we see this over and over and over again. New systems did not solve the problem, and newer systems yet will introduce more interesting problems. But the thing is, when you have a bad ballot design, it gets in the way of everything. Voters get frustrated. It has downstream effects with the poll workers because it causes issues for them as well. And contrary to what you might think, no matter how smart you are or how dumb you are or how rich you are or how poor you are or what color you are, you have screwed up when you voted. It is really hard. There are some classic design problems. Things like splitting contests over the columns in a three column layout. <sighs> on a touch screen, having more than one contest on the same screen. Uh, how you actually mark what you're going to vote for is often in the wrong place because of how the voting systems are engineered. There's also this whack design where there's uh, the beginning of an arrow and the end of an arrow and you have to connect the two ends of the arrow to make your selection. I don't know who thought of that. I would like to meet them. <laughs> and as often happens, because the filing deadlines are months and months and months ahead of when elections are because there's so much in the way of logistics to do to put on an election, disqualified candidates end up being on the ballot. Somebody died, or there was a court order, or some other thing happened. So we see this kind of stuff. This was from um, a ballot in Wisconsin from 2006. Uh, there's a contest that's split between the columns. We actually recommend that you suck it up and leave the white space at the bottom of the first column. Just put everything together. This is very hard for people to see. They want to shove everything on. And the systems that you use to make ballots uh, default to filling every available space. This is not InDesign. Now, in 2006, Sarasota County in Florida held an election uh, on its new electronic voting systems. Um, best practice says that you should put only one contest per page or screen on this electronic ballot, but um, in Sarasota, the midterm 
had a bunch of screens in the ballot where there were uh, two or more contests. Now, the most important of these was a contest for uh, House of Representatives. This was a very tightly contested election. Uh, it was always close throughout the entire campaign. Um, this contest appeared on the second page of the ballot uh, at the um, top of the screen above the race for governor. In a typical election, only about 1% of voters miss a contest like representative because everybody wants to vote for the representative to Congress. In this election, 13.9% missed this contest. That's 18,000, more than 18,000 voters missed it. After everything was investigated, turns out there wasn't any problem with the reliability or the security of the systems. Uh, just turned out to be a design problem. Now, awesome thing is, in neighboring Charlotte County, we have this beautiful natural experiment. They're also in the same representative, in the same Congress, congressional district. And uh, their uh, representative appeared on its own page, but the next page in their ballot had two contests together, and guess what happened? The bottom one is attorney general, and 20% of voters missed that contest. Now, nobody cares about attorney general, so it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> also, the margins were really wide, so this did not fire off any specific problems. But this calls up a whole set of kind of classic problems that we see repeatedly in design, not just with ballots, but with all kinds of designs. You know, inconsistencies in format and style, not using bold and shading appropriately or helpfully, or like just randomly. Um, <laughs> instructions need to be really short and really simple because people are stressed out when they go to vote. Usually the instructions are way too far away. I'll show you a couple of examples of that. And you may not know it, but if you go to the precinct and you vote on a paper ballot, if you make a mistake or you want to change what you're doing, you are legally allowed to get up to three ballots to mark, okay? So if you make a mistake, find a poll worker, ask them for a new one. Now, all of this comes to some pretty simple design principles. And uh, my colleagues at the Center for Civic Design and a couple of other people who came from the Design for Democracy project that AIGA did in 2005 and 2006 boiled this down to 10 pretty simple principles that if we all did this every day, we'd have shiny, beautiful designs that people could use. Um, our object really was to pull out from all of the research that was available, which was uh, about 300 pages, um, if there were only a few things that were cheap, legal, and easy to do for election officials, what would those things be? So they, turns out they're pretty simple, straightforward things. Use mixed case, align things on the left, don't center text. Pick one font family, please, and stay there. Make sure the type is the right size. Ensure that you're helping people understand how to navigate the thing. Use illustrations only for instructional purposes, not for decoration. You saw that ballot from New York. Like, really? How does that help anybody? 
Contrast and color is important, but the big thing is get a visual hierarchy and stick to it. Be clear about what are the most important things. So some quick examples of befores and afters. These are real ballots. Um, <laughs> this is uh, from 2000, May of 2006 in a county in uh, Washington state. Not terrible, but look at all the, um, all uppercase, just kind of shouting. Looks official, but not that easy to find your way around. Uh, this is the makeover that they did for September, or sorry, November. That's supposed to be gray. Um, but you can see the instructions are much easier to find and the office blocks are easier to get to. Uh, likewise, if you just work on simplifying instructions, you can make a big difference. This is, a, is an example from Marin County, California, and um, these are the official instructions. They're kind of a mashup. It's hard to tell what actually is happening here. Some of them are not actually instructions, they're warnings. So we, we took a crack at this. And uh, even just with the squint test, you can see that this is a simpler, easier thing to approach. Now if we could just get people to read them. Um, but these things happen mostly out of crises is how we make progress, forward progress in design and elections. And uh, some fun stories come from this that now are, have, have moved into the best practices. So here's one. After Sarasota was burned from the midterm election in 2006 with their electronic systems, they went back to paper. And the poor election official there was so freaked out, like she did not want to get this wrong again. So she called us up and said, would you please come help us do some usability testing to make sure that we've got this thing right and nothing un unpredictable is going to happen. So we did. Um, we had trouble getting participants to try this ballot out, so we ended up with a bunch of poll workers. Now, you would think that poll workers would be expert voters. So we were not excited about having a few dozen poll workers as our participants, but it turns out that on this two-sided ballot, you see the instruction there, it says vote both sides, nearly half of the participants did not turn the ballot over and vote both sides. Um, so we did a really simple thing that was still legal and easy for them to do and recommended that they put an instruction at the bottom of the right-hand column on both sides to turn the ballot over. And turns out that this, this cured that problem and the undervote rate was really, really low. So she was super happy with that outcome. And this is a, now a standard thing that we recommend. Um, in Washington state, you know the thing that I said that leaving a little white space in, in strategic places, they ignored that uh, and ended up with a super disproportionate undervote on that measure that was at the bottom of the instructions, and that led to the legislature now designing the ballot so that if you start a contest immediately under the instructions, you now have to put a bar that says, start voting here, in all caps. That's hideous. In um, 2008, uh, in Minnesota, 
in a midterm election. Uh, Al Franken was running for Senate and eventually won, but this was a, uh, another one of those elections that um, we went through a bunch of recounts in. And when the Secretary of State looked at where all the contested ballots were coming from, they were coming from people who had voted absentee. They had voted by mail. We know that people who vote by mail make more mistakes than people who vote in the polling place because they don't have a friendly poll worker to ask questions of. And so he didn't want that to happen anymore. So called us up and said, what can you do about this? And we put together a, a crack team to show up at a St. Paul library on a Saturday and intercept people to uh, do some usability testing on a bunch of different designs for their uh, vote-by-mail packet. And um, went from this, where none of those illustrations actually make any sense or match up to the steps that are listed there, to uh, this after two rounds of testing, and their um, rate of errors on vote-by-mail ballots in Minnesota is now very low. Sort of normal, close to voting in the polling place. Now, New York's had a share of lawsuits, um, including one over the voting system and the message and how that works, so pay attention when you get to the polling place. Um, they should have fixed it for the upcoming elections. Um, and voters regularly complain about the size of the type. In 2012, we went to six-point type. <laughs> like, they put those, those plastic Fresnel lenses for magnifiers in the voting booths so people could actually see it. I'm not kidding. And one more that is about to happen. See that long column in the middle? That, actually, California has an open primary, so all of the candidates for Barbara Boxer's Senate seat are all together. There are 34 of them, and uh, you can barely see it, but the instruction for United States Senator contest continues in the next column is at the bottom of the middle column. Um, the reason I tell this story is because as soon as election officials in California realized that this was gonna be a problem, they called us up and said, help. Like, what, <laughs> what can we do? And we hustled out and we did some usability testing. We talked to the Secretary of State's office to try to figure out what options there were. They are still gonna have a problem. Somebody's gonna get sued. But election officials now know ahead of time and they can mitigate and remedy in some ways by putting extra instructions in the voting booth, by training poll workers, by training the people who are on the, in the call centers. So now they're prepared. So if you're interested in this at all, there are a couple of things that you might want to go look at. One is the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU has issued two, three now, uh, excellent reports about design in ballots and how this affects the outcome of elections. Uh, it's, they're called Better Ballots, and uh, if you just use your favorite search engine and put those words in, that will come up. Uh, the other thing is this beautiful, beautiful design specification for best practice ballots was done by AIGA for a project for the Election Assistance Commission. It's called Effective Designs for the Administration of Federal Elections. This also includes designs for uh, signage and wayfinding that are, are gorgeous and starting to become sort of the de facto standard finally uh, about 10 years later. 
my group at the Center for Civic Design has made the field guides to ensuring voter intent that takes uh, each of them, there are 10 of them, on different topics. They're tiny little books. They're adorable. Um, but they're also available online. Um, we started with a Kickstarter and uh, $20,000. And now there are 5,000 sets extent. And we know that election officials are using them because they send us love letters. It's so great. Um, <laughs> we give them away for free to, to um, government workers. Now, all of this stuff seems pretty far away from your daily lives, but there are definitely things that you can do to help to fix this. First, most important, go sign up to be a poll worker. Now, this is a long day. It's about 16, 18 hours. The pay is crappy, but that's probably like, exactly like your regular job. <laughs> uh, you do have to go do a little bit of training. Uh, but this is crucially important to the success of American elections. In the 2012 presidential election, over 3 million people served as poll workers. We're going to need a lot more this time. The other thing is, the average age of poll workers recently has dropped from 72 to 68. <laughs> and so, if you all could see your way to signing up, that would bring that average down significantly. Not that there's anything wrong with wisdom. <laughs> the need is great. Please, please do it. If you can't see your way to spending a day as a poll worker, uh, I urge you to get signed up as an official observer and go hang out at a polling place for a couple of hours at least. This will be the most amazing field work you've ever done. Like actually seeing how elections work and how people vote and what it's like over time, I find it fascinating. A little known issue is uh, all municipality offices really need help proofreading. They have procedures for doing this. They have beautiful checklists, but it's really tough to edit your own stuff, no matter, even if you do have a checklist. So if you just showed up for a couple of hours and proofread voter materials or proofread ballots and made sure that people's names were spelled right and they were in the right order, election officials would be forever grateful to you. One more thing, if you vote in a precinct where there's a separate voting system for people with disabilities, go use it. You will see what it's like. And I will warn you, it will take you way longer. But please do it. It will be a really useful experience for you. At the Center for Civic Design, we often have sort of flash usability test situations come up, like the one in California. We learned about that happening about two weeks ago. We got together a few people to go to Santa Cruz and do some usability testing in the county election office. And, you know, at the end of that day, we had some direction for a whole bunch of people to, um, to improve or at least mitigate the worst uh, on what was going to happen. So we're constantly doing these things. If you're interested in doing a flash user research, usability study design thing, um, see me afterward. Give me your contact information. We'll put you on our list of volunteers.
you can learn about how local government works and uh, start to trickle up. One last thing. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that there would, this, there would be this public services. So take, seriously, think about this. Like, until a year and a half ago, I did not think about this. But I am so glad that I've done this. Take a year or two to do public service. Until you've experienced how it is in government, you really don't have any idea just how crazy it is. Sign up to join the digital service and get a chance to work on some problems that are at least as hard as protecting the voting franchise every single day. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. First question is over here, so I'll see you in a second. Okay. <laughs> uh, Ian? Yeah. Uh, so I'm wondering, when we usually do visual tests, uh, we can do the three out of five people, might be good enough. So I'm wondering when you're testing for uh, thousand users, like, what is good enough? And what's like a margin of error that's acceptable? So um, the great thing about usability testing is that uh, the thing you want to find out is where people are frustrated, where they have problems, where they make mistakes. And like sometimes you know within three to five people whether that's actually going to happen. So um, uh, often that's enough. Uh, there was no usability testing done on the butterfly ballot, so we'll never know there. But for the California ballot, for example, we hung out at the county clerk's office for an entire day. We had three or four um, facilitators. and. Uh, we had 29 voters that day. It was pretty clear, like a third of them overvoted. So, um, on all of the designs. Uh, so you, you can see the pattern pretty quickly. Um, the trick then is uh, under, doing enough sessions, doing enough, uh, seeing enough people interact with your design to understand exactly what the issues are and uh, get to a design solution. So that's really the hard part. Now, if you're gonna ask me about representative samples and statistical samples, um, we end up with the same results. Like if you do a thousand voters, you end up with basically the same thing. And um, the National Institute for Standards and Technology has done a bunch of performance testing like that, and it's pretty consistent. So we're fairly confident with the smaller samples. It's telling us enough that this is going to be an issue that uh, we can go to the election officials and say, let's work on this and try to fix it, so. Uh, I think time one more. <laughs> Hi. Thank you for the work that you're doing. I think it's amazing. Um, what was it like working with local and state election officials that were there? Did they always, were they always so welcoming and appreciative of having you come in and telling them that you're not doing all stuff that's great job with their ballots are? That's a really good question. So, our approach always has been to um, uh, work with, not for or against. Uh, and so we, we don't go in uninvited. Uh, instead, uh, we will work with another organization who they might already know 
to do some preliminary work, or we speak at tons of conferences where election officials, like every state has an association of election officials. And so we go give workshops and we teach usability testing in 45 minutes and stuff like that so uh, that they can see it. The other thing we do in our workshops is we always, we um, get them to critique somebody else's stuff first. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah. So, um, we are gentle, but we've been doing this now for a long time. So it was awesome when the folks from California called us up because we're like, okay, this is actually working. So thanks again, everybody. Keep up the good work. Thank you.